Amen. Good morning to you. It's great to be with you. I was here, as, as Chris said, for the uh, Beatitudes series, uh, Read the Red. I think I was here in October. It was fall. Today it feels like fall. It's a lovely day out there. It's almost a spring day, and it's great to partner with you in gospel ministry. Well, Vince Lombardi was the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, and he had a disappointing season, uh, not up to his standards. And so he began training camp the next year by going back to the basics. He said to, he held up a, a football and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. These are professional <laughs> football players. He said, if it's on the ground, pick it up. If somebody hands it to you, run with it. If you see it in the air, catch it. Always hang on to it. CCC, this is a Bible. <laughs> if, you see, if you see it on the ground, pick it up. <laughs> if somebody hands it to you, run with it. If you see it in the air, catch it. This is uh, the word of God. Now, normally on a Sunday morning, we uh, preach uh, from the Bible to the contemporary situation. Today, I'd like to preach to you about the Bible, <laughs> and then we'll come at the end of the service uh, sermon and uh, make some application. But the question is, why do we believe it is the Word of God? The word Bible comes from the Greek word biblos. It just means book. In the early church, the most common um, way they referred to it was scripture. In the Bible itself, it's referred to as holy writings. It's also referred to as the word of God a number of times. So why do we believe that it's the word of God? I mean, what evidence is there? Because uh, by all accounts, it is a most remarkable book. It is the best-selling book in the history of the planet. But there's all kinds of opinions about it. I was working many years ago at a Christian college. I was a professor, and my wife uh, was working in the advancement department, like fundraising, and one of her colleagues, they were talking about something. I think it was a, an issue of sexual ethics, and my wife said something and quoted some verse, and her coworker said, oh, well, hmm, that's just Paul. So what did she mean by that? Well, I'm not sure, but I, I, apparently she meant some parts of the Bible are the word of God and trustworthy and, you know, the truth, and, but other parts, eh, human opinion, uh, we know better today. Uh, the Bible has errors, in this case, of ethics, we know better. And yet, we're claiming that along with the scripture's own testimony, that it is the word of God. Now, uh, my wife's coworker didn't use the word, but she was <clears throat> referring to what we call the doctrine of inspiration. 
and you might think of levels of inspiration. The bottom level would be uh, something like Shakespeare, like, you know, oh, it's inspired literature, great insight. And by the way, I'm not putting down Shakespeare. I have a very high regard for Shakespeare, but it, you know, it's a human writing, and a, in a sense, it's inspired a lot more than my emails or your texts. <laughs> it's on a different level. Is the Bible inspired in that sense? Well, I, people would say, yeah, it's really something. It's beautiful, it's profound. A higher level, we might call it partial inspiration, meaning that it's true in matters of faith, but not true in you know, science and archeology span and history and ethics and you know, modern stuff that we've discovered. It has, it has errors. It's true in terms of how to be saved and you know, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and faith, but partial. Probably my coworker friend probably held that belief, although she, as I say, she didn't use these terms. And then there's the top level of full, meaning it is accurate and it is authoritative in everything that it talks about. It is kept free from error by the Spirit of God. It was given to human authors, but God was also the author. We call that dual authorship, you know, Paul and Luke and Isaiah, but the Holy Spirit was guiding and directing, preserving, recording his word, the word of God. Which of these three does uh, this church hold? It's okay, you can talk to me, I'm a professor. <laughs> yeah, do you know that for sure? Like the, the, the documents of the church and... Okay, I went to the website <laughs> to look at the doctrinal statement and I found this on, on the website. Uh, we hold the following to be the orthodox beliefs of the Christian faith and then there's you know God and Jesus and everything and then uh, this article, God speaks the Bible is God's word written, written by people and guided by God's spirit. It is authoritative and sufficient. And then there's another section in, in that same area, core values. The Bible gives us the example of how to be a biblically function, functional and healthy church. So the question is, why does CCC hold this? Why this top level? What, what, what evidence is there that the Bible is the word of God in that full sense? Well, we have verses like this that the Bible claims for itself, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Somebody has said the Bible shows us uh, what is right, teaching, shows us where we're not right, <laughs> rebuking, shows us how to get right, <laughs> uh, correcting, and shows us how to stay right training in righteousness. But I want to focus on that first part. All scripture is God-breathed. Uh, 
uh, literally, it is, it is breathed out. I guess uh, technically, this should be the doctrine of expiration. <laughs> Inspiration means breathing, you know, that's a technicality. Um, but it, it, the idea is God infused, gave, uh, placed himself into, it's an illusion. We hear echoes of the creation, creation of Adam, remember? Uh, from the dust of the ground, God created the first man, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. This image of God's breath is an instance of his power, his superintendence, his animation, his life. Scripture, so Scripture says, It sounds to me, you know, of our options like the full, authoritative, accurate word of God. Psalm uh, 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host host was made by the breath of his mouth. So this image of breath Breathing, it's a creation, it's an animation that the Apostle Paul is alluding to and touching on. The Bible is God-breathed, it is expired. Then we have uh, 2 Peter. Prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Another interesting image, also dealing with wind or a a breath, they were carried along. The idea is the wind in the sails of a sailboat. So men spoke, Paul and and Luke and Isaiah, but they were carried along, directed by the Holy Spirit. This is why verses like this that we hold to that top-level full uh, inspiration. Now, somebody says uh, with great insight, isn't this circular reasoning? You're using the Bible to prove the Bible. Follow? Like I could say, I am the strongest man in the world. And you say, Okay. Any other evidence? Yes, I say so. Well, any other <laughs> besides you? And so let me respond. That's a good question. This, this, you know, this circular reasoning is a good question, le- legitimate. But I would respond by saying, first of all, a witness is allowed to give his or her own testimony. If we accuse Colonel Mustard of committing murder, killing Professor Plum with a lead pipe, and we put Colonel Mustard on the stand. He's allowed to, you know, no, I was on July 13th, I was in Barbados. He's allowed to give his testimony. We need other stuff. We need other witnesses. But uh, yeah, you're allowed to give your own testimony. But I would also respond by saying, we need other witnesses. 
Okay, so what other witnesses besides the Bible's own testimony, you know, God breathed and the wind in the sails, what other testimony is there besides the Bible's own claims for itself? We have these four, you guys, this is a big subject. I mean, these are, they write books on each of these things. You can take a course on this stuff, so very brief, very compact. The character of the Bible, here's what I mean. This book, I mean, it's really remarkable because it was written over approximately 1,500 years by approximately 40 different authors, and yet it hangs together one story of salvation, one meta-narrative. It really seems like there was a mind... <laughs> a single person writing and you know, guiding the different pieces in Paul and Luke and Isaiah, the character of the Bible. Do you, do you feel the, 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 the significance of this? Like um, the Declaration of Independence. Uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Um, okay, so the Continental Congress uh, commissioned uh, a committee of five to write this declaration. We're independent, England, we're, we're, we're leaving you, England. And so there was John Adams and uh, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and a couple other guys. So the five got together, they couldn't do it. it they couldn't do it as a group. It was just too difficult. And so finally the group said, okay, 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 okay. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, you're, you're, you're a good writer, you're brilliant, you write it, and then bring it back to us and we'll edit it and give our input, and then we'll present it to the Continental Congress. Okay, here's my point. Five guys in the same room, looking at each other in the eye, on a pretty narrow topic that they all agreed on, uh, they were not able to do it as a committee, as a group. And yet here we have this book, 1,500 years. These authors never even knew each other. Most of them didn't know each other. And yet it is one grand meta-narrative of the depiction of God saving the world through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ, coming back to make things right, this grand story. And so you and I go, whoa, how did that happen? Maybe God was behind this thing. Character of the Bible. Uh, fulfilled prophecy, that's a big topic. But there are these prophecies, especially about Jesus, about other things also, but especially about Jesus. There's like a thousand of these prophecies. They were in hundreds. They were written a thousand years before Christ, and then they came true. These Old Testament authors, they didn't have full awareness of what they were talking about. Then they came true, and it looks like somebody is standing outside of time inspiring the wind in the sails, inspiring, for example, David, Psalm 22, inspiring him to say something about Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about, Psalm 22? They pierced my hands and my feet. What did that mean for David? They, didn't, they hadn't even invented crucifixion, or at least the Jews didn't have crucifixion. 
Uh, They have surrounded me like the bulls of Bashan. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David was the first one that said that, and then look, a thousand years later, well, how did that happen? So this topic of fulfilled prophecy, big topic, but you, you gotta fit it into your, your doctrine of the word of God somehow. Number three, our understanding of God. Here's what I mean. This is like pure theology, the, the character, the person of God. Here's the idea. Um, we believe that God is the kind of person that communicates not just some force, like, you know, like Star Wars, not the deistic God that he created the world and let it spin and then he's just sitting there. No, he is, he's a communicator. Another way to say this is God is love. And so we're not surprised believing this and knowing this about God, we're not surprised that he would communicate to us. He communicates in many ways, nature and, uh, you know, dreams. But his primary communication, his objective communication, meaning it's written down, it's permanent, we can study it. His communication, we're not surprised, given our understanding of God, that he wants to be known. We don't have the ability in ourselves to know him fully. We, We can have you know, bits and pieces and ideas, but uh, he, he is self-revealed. And so it fits this doctrine of full inspiration. God wants to be known, wants to invite us into community through communication. Number four, Jesus' trust in the Bible. He quoted the Bible very often, And I'll give you just one example, just one example if you're taking notes, Mark 12, 36. Okay, Jesus is about to quote Psalm 110, Old Testament, Psalm 110. Here's how he sets it up. Jesus says, David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared blah, 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 blah. David, author of uh, Psalm 110, speaking by the Holy Spirit. And so if, if, uh, if, if we had Jesus on the stage here and we said, well, Jesus, which of the, what's your view of inspiration? You call it the word of God. In what sense? I, I think he would say, oh, yeah, top level. It's accurate. It's authoritative. Yeah, humans wrote it, but God was... The wind in the sails. All right, that's for your consideration. That's a mouthful, that's a headful, but uh, for your consideration. Now, what are we not saying when we say the Bible is inspired? Well, we are not saying everything in the Bible is clear and easy to understand. Can I get a witness? I mean, I'm a seminary professor, and it's like, what is going on? What does that mean? So we got to study. But, but our belief, our faith, our trust is God has communicated. And you have the ability to figure it out. He's you know, used uh, words, uh, grammar and syntax and history and literary forms, poetry and but we're not saying it's, it's 
a piece of cake. It's simple. Further, we are not saying that God dictated the Bible. No, this is dual authorship. David and Luke and Isaiah, they had their own personality, their own experiences, their own, you know, literary skill, but God was with them. He didn't just, you know, sort of like treat them like a dictation machine. You baby boomers remember what a dictation machine is. (laughs) What was that called where you did it with the pedal? Yeah, transcribe. Anyway, they, were, they weren't just like robots, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. No, he was, he, he was inspiring the wind in the sails. We are not saying other books have no truth. No, uh, we believe that everything in the Bible is true, but not everything is in the Bible. Um, your driver's manual and your history book and the encyclopedia and Wikipedia, I guess, have truth. (laughs) To my knowledge, the Bible says nothing about radio waves or cellular mitosis or the Boston Common. Even religious books contain truth. For example, the Koran. The Koran says God created everything, and we say, and uh, the Koran says God is holy, and we say, yep, 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 true. Now, when your history book and your psychology book and uh, other religious books, when they contradict the Bible, because that happens sometimes, when they contradict the Bible, we side with the Bible. We, we, we feel like, well, you know, this, this stands, it stood the test of time, Uh, It fits the character of God. He inspired it. Uh, And so we just are patient with modern theories and science and all of that, and we'll see where things shake down. But we're patient, but we we go with this. I'll give you an example um, from from in the religious realm. Once again, the Koran. Okay. Um, The Koran is ambivalent about Jesus' death. There are at least three verses that say Jesus died, and we say, yep, that's what the Bible teaches. But then there's another verse that, well, here, let me just read to you. Um, Surah 3.15. Surah uh, means like chapter. So Surah 3.55, 5.17, 19.33 speak about his death. But Surah 4.157 says... They did not kill him, nor did they crucify him, but they thought they did. And so we're like, okay. So the Bible says they crucified him. With the sign, the king of the Jews. Surrounded him and mocked him. He thirsted. There's two thieves. And so, those of us who believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, we say, well, I think the Koran is wrong about it. He really was crucified. He really did die. And the, and the Koran itself seems to say that, but it's ambivalent. Okay, so we're not saying that other books have no truth, but when push comes to shove, as it does sometimes, 
then we, uh, we trust the word of God. All right, that's your lecture for the day. <laughs> Thank you for attending this lecture hall. Now let's turn the lecture hall into a church. So what? Okay, the Bible's the word of God, woo! Okay, so, can I give you just one application? We listen. One of the most recognizable company icons in the early 20th century, what, what company was this? Yeah, you baby boomers know this one. RC, RCA Victor Record Company, the Record Corporation of America, RCA. Okay, what's the story behind this? The story is, this is a painting by an English artist. His name was Francis Barad. And um, Francis Barad's brother was an early uh, experimenter with the phonograph. Uh, he was just fascinated by this new technology. And, um, and he actually, experimented recording his voice on the, the cylindrical uh, records back in that day. And Francis Barad's brother also not only owned the, the, the machine, he also owned the dog. And the dog's name was Nipper. Then the brother died. And Francis Barad inherited the phonograph and he inherited Nipper. And whenever he would play those early recordings of his brother's voice, Nipper would listen. And the title of the painting and the motto of the company is listening to his master's voice. Are you with me? The Bible So we listen. Listening is a sign of longing and loyalty. Another way to say this is that we delight in the word of God. Like uh, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who uh, does not uh, walk it with the sinful people and sit in the council of the bad people, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. C.S. Lewis said, have you ever read the law of the Lord? Because the, the psalmist was talking about the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, like Leviticus and all that stuff. He said, have you ever read that stuff? It's not very delightful. He said, this delight is the delight of certainty. You see, our culture disorients us. There's, there's this truth and this truth and this truth, and everybody got their own truth, and truth with a big T doesn't really exist. There's all these personal truths, and, and, uh, and the advertisers lie to us. 
<laughs> the advertisers say your essence, the real you, is what you drive and how you decorate and where you dine and how you dress. And the Word of God says, that's not your essence. Let me tell you who you are. And this is an authoritative word and the delight of certainty. Lewis says uh, a couple of hikers, walkers, are uh, walking the country roads of England, and they're tired, and it's, they've been walking a lot, and uh, they want to get to the inn where they have a reservation, and dinner is waiting, so they take a shortcut. Hey, it's not a good idea. They get off of the road, and they get into the forest, and the sun goes down, and it's even darker in the forest, and uh, there's mud, and they're disoriented, and their feet are caught in the tangle of the undergrowth, and the dew gets them all soaked, and, oh, we're lost, we're disoriented. And then suddenly bursting from the undergrowth, they feel again, pavement. How delightful. <laughs> and they see the stars. And just up ahead is the lights of the inn. So the winds and the beliefs and the worldviews and the advertisers, and it swirls around us. And the psalmist says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And so we listen to this word of God. So when the Bible says that we should love one another, we don't hear that just as good advice. It is good advice, but it's more than that. It is the word of God. We try to do it. And when the Bible says you are loved. We don't think that's just wish fulfillment. We think it is a message from God. And when the Bible says, believe in me, that's what we try to do. And when the Bible says, fear me, all the earth, we say, yes, sir. And when the Bible says, he came to seek and save the lost, we say, save me. And when the Bible says, I am coming back and the dead in Christ will rise, we comfort one another with those words. And when the Bible says, I will establish my throne forever, I will put down the kingdom of this world, I will set up the kingdom of my Father, which will know no end, we say, Maranatha, yes, Lord, come on back, come on back, Lord. We delight, we listen, we yield, we obey this inspired word of God. Let me put some shoe leather on this application that we listen. Let me give you four suggestions on how to maybe upgrade our listening. Let's, uh, let's think in terms of turning over an old leaf. Here at the beginning of 2020, uh, don't turn over a new leaf, turn over an old one. Here's what I mean. 
learn it by heart. Do you, you ever memorize the Bible? This is, it's a great way to put it in there and, and treasure it and delight in it. Uh, for many years, uh, especially when my son, who's out of the house now, was, was in the house, for many years at dinner time, we would memorize the Bible. We would just get a passage and we would just read it and we'd read it out loud and read it over and over again until finally we had it learned. I suppose over the years we've we learned at least a dozen passages that way. My wife and I need to get back to that. We've kind of dropped that, that habit of ours. But you might you know, get involved in some discipline uh, where you can memorize it, you can learn it by heart. How about E, engage with your eyes or ears? By engage, I just mean read it, just, you know, read it, or, or you could listen to it. Some people are not readers, they don't really, you know, learn well that way. Okay, listen to, listen to the Bible. Can I show you my favorite Bible reader. This is the, an app, it's free, uh, the Daily Radio Bible. My friend Hunter Barnes is a pastor in New Jersey, and he's also a professional actor, and he just reads the Bible. He's not, you know, particularly dramatic or anything, but he's, he's a good reader. And if you listen to Daily Radio Bible for a whole year, you will go through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice in one year. It really doesn't even take that long. It's about maybe 14 or 15 minutes a day. I listened this morning uh, while, while I was driving down here. Hunter read... Uh, in Exodus, actually the crossing of the Red Sea was this morning, very exciting. And then in the New Testament, uh, Acts chapter one. So you might want to, to listen. If the Bible is the word of God, and if we yield to it and delight in it, here's some ways to put some shoe leather on that conviction. L-E-A, Next slide, L-E-A, assemble. By that I mean like group discussion. Are you in a small group? Are you in a Bible study, mentoring relationship, one-on-one? But talk about it out loud. It's a great, sort of like group meditation. And it's a great way to hide that word in your heart. So I encourage you, get involved in in an assembly, in a a group uh, activity. And then F, fill in. That is to say, take notes. And here's what I mean. I feel often like Sunday morning sermons uh, are spoken and then they fade with the sound of the echo. <laughs> you know, in one ear, out the other. Um, maybe you can leverage the teaching of the word by getting actively involved. In other words, take notes. It increases attention, comprehension, and retention uh, to do that, and then you, you have a, a, a permanent copy or a, you know, a, a written copy. You can review it during the week or whatever, but that might be one suggestion for how you can upgrade, how you can turn over an old leaf to delight in the Word. So, the Bible is the Word of God. Therefore, we listen.